You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Harvard psychiatrist, Dr. Alan Hobson, has written extensively about psychiatry being in crisis. What does that mean? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Alan Hobson, professor of psychiatry and director of the Laboratory of Neurophysiology at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center. Welcome. Hi, I'm glad to be with you, Leslie. Dr. Hobson, you've written a book called Out of Its Mind, Psychiatry in Crisis, A Call for Reform. Those seem to be fighting words. Indeed they are, and I, I mean, I think they're probably even more challenging than that language implies. What I'm suggesting is that we've got to remake the psychology altogether from the ground up, and nobody really wants to do that. Everybody wants to, you know, sort of slightly modify uh, their variation of Freudian psychoanalysis. And I just don't think it can be done. I think that we have to bite the bullet and start over. And, you know, that's a <laughs> that's a radical challenge. And people, most people are un- unwilling to even listen to it because they think, How, what is he talking about? How are we going to do this? You know, then if they read the book, they'll they'll get some answers, but they won't be, they probably won't be satisfied with them. And they'll go back to, you know, fairy tales and sort of uh, speculative philosophy that's been guiding this field, unfortunately, you know, ever since it broke away from neurology in the, in the late 19th century, in the early 20th century. And we've been going on, going on sort of automatic pilot for 100 years, getting away with murder. And I think it's time, it's time to call it to a halt. I don't mean to eliminate psychiatry. I mean to really work on psychology in such a way that we have something to offer as a, a kind of complement to the general medical model. Again, uh, the, the, the way that I propose to do that is to begin to, for example, in the case of the dream theory, to uh, have a radically new approach. So what would that approach be? We've been talking a little bit about the difference between content and formal analysis. It's a little bit like the difference between taking a history from a patient and forgetting to do the mental status exam. And I think that's happening a lot, actually, in psychodynamic circles that, you know, the emphasis is so strong on history that we forget to ask the patient if they know what day it is. And some of these patients who are perfectly verbal about their family histories don't know it's Wednesday the whatever. Certainly my mother, who had Alzheimer's disease, was usually not oriented. And people would say, there's nothing wrong with your mother, you know, because she was carrying on a perfectly decent luncheon or dinner table conversation she had no idea who she was talking to. She couldn't name any, any person at the table. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know what day it was. But none of that was apparent. If you talked with her, you'd think she was in pretty good shape. And, you know, if you didn't ask her these questions specifically, you'd never get the answers. Now, I'm not suggesting that the mental status exam is enough. It probably isn't. But what we have to do is is to further refine and and develop that sort of approach. And uh, that's what I call the formal approach. For example, right now we're studying dreams. I was very interested in in trying to get at whether thinking is logical in dreams. And so we, we struggled a long time with methodologies for doing that. It turns out that if you consider something that somebody tells you as a virtual syllogism, you realize that logic depends on orientational stability. If you don't know that you're in your office in Brookline and it's May 31st, you're going to have a lot of problems with logic. 
because the premises are always going to be shifting. You, you don't know, for example, you say, well, if I am in my office, then I must be talking to Leslie London, Boise, Idaho. But if I don't know I'm in my office and I find myself suddenly talking to you on the telephone, I'm wondering, what the hell is this all about, you know? I mean, do you understand what I mean? The, the grounding of logic is in the imperceptual stability, in other words. And if a patient lacks perceptual stability, which is a good way of defining what bothers a lot of patients, especially psychotic patients, then, of course, they can't think straight. And it's only when you get the perceptual system back on an even keel that they have any chance of creating logical thought. It's not surprising that these patients are so delusional. They're delusional in sort of in consonance with their perceptual difficulties. So, I mean, again, I'm sounding like a raw organicist. I'm not. I, I certainly think that family histories are important, but it's not the only show in town. And if you look at what's going on in psychiatry today, you'd have that feeling, except, of course, that you've got the psychopharmacologists on the one hand, but they don't really know anything about neurophysiology, and they don't know very much about cognitive science. When I'm advocating a new psychology, it's built from those pieces. One, a formal approach to mental content, and also understanding further cognitive subtleties about how the mind really works. And as long as we're telling ourselves all these fairy tales about our mothers and our fathers and you know how they were incestuous or whatever, we're not going to get it. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And it's not happening. And people stay in psychoanalysis, you know, if they're well healed. They stay in psychoanalysis for 20 years. But, you know, I can tell you from looking at a lot of my friends, they aren't a whole lot better. They've just better learned a mythology. And so I think that psychiatry is in crisis because it doesn't really have its own psychology. And I, I think it has to get one. And I think it can get one if it wants to. And so I'm optimistic about the possibilities. I'm, I'm pessimistic about them actually happening because I think people are just too lazy. They don't want to do this work. They, they want to believe things like the Oedipus complex is where it's at. And sorry, it's just not true. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Alan Hobson. We are discussing the crisis in psychiatry. Dr. Hobson, what do you think are the roots of this problem? How did we get into this state? Well, we got in here because we're so impatient. We got here because we're understandably impatient, but impatience is a very, very dangerous mental attribute. We, we all have it. First of all, we were unhappy with neurology because neurology was localizationist and we wanted it to be more functional. And we wanted it to be more psychological than it still wants to be. I, I think a lot of people think that psychiatry should be folded back into neurology. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating that psychiatry justify its separation from neurology by being scientifically dignified in its approach to psychology. Sigmund Freud just handed people this wonderfully a brilliant set of assumptions about how the mind works. Most of them, I think, are wrong. They're problematically wrong because they lead to a an approach to therapy, which I think is sterile. We do much better with, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy, certainly superior to psychoanalysis. And I think cognitive behavioral therapy probably will fit very well into the sort of picture that I'm envisaging 
developing when brain science is taken more seriously and its integration with psychology is taken more seriously. We want all that to happen in an instant, and it just won't. The brain is the most complicated, most beautiful structure in all of nature. There are 100 billion neurons in your head, in my head, right now as we have this conversation. They're firing at rates of 2 to 60 cycles per second, and we're just talking about action potentials. So we have an information throughput on the order of 1 to the, you know, 10 to the 27th bits per second. I mean, it's just not imaginable, the complexity of the system. We want to answer it with, you know, simple yes or no questions. It's just not going to happen. So I think that we need to be more, a lot more realistic. It's a long haul, but now the door is open because we've got PET scans, we've got ways of studying the human brain in action, and we can match those findings with the findings from the animal models, which are you know, now capable of resolving single cells and even uh, manipulating individual molecules. The future is very bright, but I mean, I think, I mean we're talking about 1,000 years. I don't think we're talking about 100. Oh, my. We've got our foot in the door now. But what a door it is. What can we do to fix it? We've got to revise training, for one thing. We've got to make people much more aware of, uh, I think, the, the magnitude of the task. It's not going to happen with you know, three years of residency in which you're exposed to patients and, and you know, sort of forced to choose between psychopharmacology and, and psychoanalysis. That's just not going to cut it. You, you've got to develop more sophisticated training programs You've got to encourage people to do brain science as well as to do psychiatry, and that's also not popular, And by the way. I mean, most bottom-line hospitals are just not willing to listen to that sort of talk. They want you in the clinic 40 hours a week, and they're willing to pay you because the insurance companies will pay them, you know, back, but you just have to be unhappy about it. You have to be more sanguine about the possibility of really solving the mind-body problem. When I said a thousand years, you moaned and groaned, but, you know, the mind-body problem, I'm sorry to say, it has been around for 4,000 years and hasn't had a dent made in it. And now I think that at least there is some hope that, you know, it might be solved. That's a very big deal. The reason why it's been so impossible to solve is because the system is so frigging complicated. But it's studyable now, and, uh, you know, I think that we, we've got to be able to tell foundations and the federal government that this is the case, that the largest cause of, you know, medical morbidity in in the world is mental illness. And it's not just mental illness. It's also subtle forms of brain disease. Getting that all straight is, is not an easy proposition, but it shouldn't be suggested by glib protagonists that it's going to be easy. It isn't. Well, and certainly the economics are quite difficult. The economics are difficult no matter what you do. I mean, if you think about it this way, Leslie, Think about natural selection, Darwinian principles, and what it means to develop a perfect brain. I mean, you know, 100 billion neurons all hooked up right and all, all delivering the right sorts of chemicals at the right times. I mean, there's just bound to be errors, design errors that are made in the natural evolution of such a system. Even if you believe in divine creation, you know, you've got a watchmaker there who's got a hell of a watch on his hand. He's going to be dozing off and and going to sleep and making some mistakes. And a lot of this is going to happen. It has to happen, in a way, if you have a natural history point of view. You know, the morbidity is is surprisingly low, given the complexity of the system that, you know, supports normal function, the brain. In a way, you can say, well, oh, my God, you know, 
you could stand her and throw up your hands and say, this is much too difficult. I don't want to do it, but this is the way it is. I think it can be done. And what we have to do is quiet ourselves down a bit and be a little bit more realistic and reflective without losing optimism. I think that's the way to go. Uh, the universities and the federal government have got to talk to each other much more collaboratively about what a major problem this is. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Alan Hobson. He's the author of Out of Its Mind, Psychiatry in Crisis, A Call for Reform, and Harvard Psychiatrist. We've been discussing what we might do to understand the mind-body connection a bit better. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.